Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Women in Foreign Policy podcast. This month, we are talking to several participants from New Story Leadership. And to introduce the program and the participants, I have with me Hannah McCarthy. Um, and she and I are going to chat just briefly about kind of the, the context in which the program operates and what the program does. Uh, and then we'll kick it over to a conversation with the actual participants. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming and for talking to us and for kind of setting up this, this interview in the first place. So to give people some understanding of who we're talking to and kind of the context, can you tell us a little bit about New Story Leadership and what kind of work the organization does? Sure, no problem. Um, so New Story Leadership, it's kind of two things. So one, it's a development program and it takes young leaders from um, Israel and Palestine and brings them to the U.S. for seven weeks. Uh, it gives them internships on the Hill. They stay with um, American families and they're given lots of training and opportunities um, to tell their story. Um, so it develops them. It gives them an opportunity to learn um, from from other Israelis and Palestinians in a way that often they don't have the opportunity to do so um, at home in Palestine, in Israel or elsewhere in the Middle East. Uh, and, and again, it, it is also you know, a platform. So uh, a big emphasis um, that NSL has is about finding opportunities um, to speak for the participants to speak with U.S. policy policymakers um, and ensure that um, for once they kind of have the opportunity to get some input on um, foreign policy decisions from people who are actually affected by those decisions. Uh, and often we find that um, people working in foreign policy on the Hill or in the government or in NGOs, um, they're rarely given an opportunity to meet with young Israelis um, who are focused on peace and young Palestinians, um, again, are, are hugely uh, left out of the dialogue um, in policymaking on the Hill. Uh, so it's very much about giving them a platform, um, organizing speaking events so that, um, that that Americans and policymakers can have a chance to hear uh, what it's actually like to be a young Israeli, what it, what's it actually like to be a young Palestinian, uh, and what are their views on um, the Middle East and how uh, peace could be achieved. Great. Um, that First of all, it sounds like a really fascinating organization. And I think that kind of um, on the ground experience is really important. Um, so can you tell me, you know, about who founded the organization, kind of why it was founded? Um, give me a sense of the scope of it. And then maybe tell me just a little bit about sort of the qualifications for participants, like kind of why are they, um, who who gets to participate here? Or, or what are we looking for in participants? Sure. So the New Story Leadership um, was founded by alumni and, and organizers of the Washington Ireland program uh, over 10 years ago. So I myself participated in the Washington Ireland program. Uh, and this, to quickly summarize, was a, was a program founded 25 years ago um, to help um, children uh, and, and students in Northern Ireland um, 
to bring them to the America to, again, do a similar thing to New Story Leadership, where they, they live with American families. They do placements on the Hill and in other NGOs and organizations in, in D.C., um, and again, to give them an opportunity to meet people from backgrounds they wouldn't normally, because in Northern Ireland, there was a huge divide between Catholics and Protestants, Unionists and Nationalists. Uh, and within the Republic of Ireland, the North of Ireland, there was a big divide. So people went through that program and they thought this is this is a this is a very kind of simple program in some ways, but it has a huge impact on allowing young people across the divide, young people who have, you know, passions and who have a commitment to kind of making their communities better to to bring them together um, and allow them to get to know each other in an environment um, that's not as charged maybe as their own uh, environments. So um, over 10 years ago, um, a number of alumni came back and decided to work on a program for young Israelis and Palestinians. Um, and so that's been running for the last 10 years um, and again, every year um, they brought over students and um, they've stayed with American families. Uh, and again, we try and kind of connect the programs up because, um, again, you're, you know, there is something kind of like special about having um, these type of programs kind of like learning from each other. Um, you know, in terms of the broad NGO world, it's a small organization. It brings 10 students every year. Um, it's managed by uh, two directors, uh, Anna Garber, who's the Israeli uh, co-director, and Rowan Oda, who is the Palestinian uh, co-director. And they have an intern, Maya, as well, who does stellar work. Uh, so it's a very kind of small resource operation that has a huge impact. Um, and again, I think that's kind of one of the elements that makes the kind of models so inspiring, because when you look at the kind of money that's put into all sorts of things, um, in conflict, uh, in post-conflict and conflict regions, small programs that actually promote dialogue can be done um, in, in, with much less resource and have a much bigger impact when you really look at it. That um, that all makes a ton of sense. And I didn't actually know that you were an alum of like a similar program. That's super interesting. And, and we should talk about that at some point. Um, but one thing that I was noticing is you were referencing like coming over to the U.S. and staying with American families and all of this. And um, as literally no one on the planet can possibly be ignorant of at this point, we are in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm interested to hear how, I mean, the program is clearly still going on. You know, you're, we're interviewing participants in the 2020 program, but clearly we can't be, you can't sort of be having the same program as it would always be um, in any other year because there's a pandemic on. So how has that affected um, programming? How has that affected the participants? And I know that we talk about this a little bit in the interview itself, but I would love to hear from you kind of um, from an overview, you know, what that effect has been. Sure. Well, I mean, it was a pretty drastic effect in in terms of shifting from an, an on-the-ground program in the US staying with you know families and going to work on the hill every day to a digital program so uh, I guess you know that kind of pivot and preparation was done kind of in a couple of weeks when it was very clear in March that uh, it, it, that it was just not going to be possible to have people flying in um, from all over the world to do work experience in America the hill didn't even know how it was going to be able to run an internship program. Most of the offices weren't running internship programs. Uh, 
and again, you know, you had many of the host families um, would have had family members who were older. And again, it just it wasn't going to work from an operational perspective to have, you know, young people flying in, staying with, you know, families and, and you know, remotely working on the hill. Um, so that was, you know, a challenge. But again, we've we found that one kind of benefit was that we could have, you know, training programs or speakers who we would not normally have been able to get just because they weren't located in DC. Um, it has been though challenging. And and I think, you know, there's a lot of kind of very big conversations that happen and um, a lot of very challenging conversations that happen and, and doing that remotely over Zoom can be hard. Um, so, you know, you, there's not the same opportunity to say, look, I, I know that might've been a tough conversation or a hard conversation. Let's go have a walk. Let's go grab a coffee. So there's, there's certain elements that, you know, there's certain kind of elements that are kind of irreplaceable of, of, an, of a kind of in-person program. Um, but nevertheless, it, it was amazing to see how people still bonded. They still learned from each other. The fact that they were able to get kind of emotional and so involved um, when debating, you know, topics like identity, um, you know, what what like uh, the solution looks like in the Middle East is it a one state solution a two state solution you know talking about difficult family stories difficult family histories and um, personal stories um and again you know you you had kind of you know the the in the background threats of um annexation in the West Bank as well which all kind of you know proved like made for kind of some difficult conversations um but i think it really kind of spoke to the strength of all the participants that they they were really eager to learn from each other um and you know they they kind of committed to the program and uh, we're happy to say it was it was like it was kind of like you know successful but at the same time you know i'm sure we're all looking forward to a time when we can get back to kind of business as usual and you know you know in-person meetings and getting to kind of pick up on all the kind of physical cues and, um, you know, just being able to grab coffees with people and, or go for a happy hour. I know that I, for one, am definitely looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Cause like one thing it's funny, like for the, or- like the orders we, we find, we always kind of like, um, to kind of recreate the kind of, you know, like that kind of extra time around events where you just kind of chat or you just kind of catch up on stuff like we, we were always on the kind of zoom line like 15 minutes before everyone else came on just because you have to find a bit of a space to just catch up on stuff but um so yeah you're kind of constantly jumping on and off zooms um just to make sure everything's together because it's kind of it, it, it's funny how when you're doing kind of an in-person program there's always like five minutes to like just discuss something with someone really quickly absolutely so there's just a lot more you know scheduling I guess yeah I think one of the things that I've missed the most about our new sort of lifestyle lived entirely over zoom and zoom equivalents is that you lose a lot of that liminal space between you know at the beginning or the end of event or like between events like between meetings you show up and everyone is staring at each other on zoom and then you do whatever you came here to do and then you leave and there's very little sort of um casual unfocused interaction and I think that that's actually like no matter what kind of team or what kind of group you're running whether it's professional or whether it's uh just a group of friends like having that unstructured time where you just kind of drift in and out and can transition is really really helpful and I'm sure that for for your team and for the participants this year they're really feeling the loss of it quite keenly 
Yeah, no, no, definitely. I definitely agree with that. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on for just a few minutes to give us some context here. Um, And without further ado, I say we hop right into our conversation with the participants. Sure. Thanks very much, Ashley. Thanks, Hannah. Well, hi, my name is Mashi. Um, I'm a 26-year-old Israeli living in Be'er Sheva. And I'm currently finishing up my BA in politics and government and history. Um, during the time I've been living in Besheva, I've gotten to know the struggles of the Bedouin and the African refugee communities in this region, and I've come to really realize how much the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has systemically affected the way my government treats minorities within its borders, um, which made me very passionate about, um, trying to change that and being more involved, um, in these kinds of issues. Um, I applied to NSL because I follow American politics rather closely, um, and I thought it would be a great opportunity and a great experience to um, have firsthand experience um, and a chance to advocate for something I believe in. So, hi everyone. I'm Ala. I'm an Israeli citizen from Tel Aviv. I recently graduated my BA in Islam and Gender Studies, uh, which led me to be a uh, women's rights activists, and my sister, she's working in a, in an organization of former IDF sisters called Breaking the Silence, which brings testimonies of um, soldiers that were serving in the occupied territories and telling the, their story about what they've experienced there. And she knows um, this kind of activist and really care about social change, about distributional justice and she heard about this program and she told me I have to apply to it because she thought I could be um, she thought I could use that in order to uh, promote what I believe in so that's what led me to NSL. Hello my name is Noor I'm a 21 year old Palestinian from Nablus currently I'm a senior at Clark University um, growing up in the West Bank, I got used to the daily human rights violations of the occupation, like enduring long, dreadful, humiliating hours at checkpoints between cities. Um, so I applied to NSL because I perceived it as an opportunity to communicate with decision makers to speak up about my story and the reality Palestinians live on in a daily basis. Um, I also study political science in the United States, and I regularly update myself about what's happening, so I felt that it was right to be involved in... Um, really what happens in the halls of Congress. Hi, my name is Marah. I'm a 23 Palestinian born and raised in Nazareth. So I also have an Israeli citizenship. Um, I always lived in Nazareth in a very Palestinian environment, but had to move to Tel Aviv in order to pursue my studies. I finished my bachelor's degree in business administration and sociology, and now I'm doing my graduate studies in sociology of distributional justice. Um, I applied for NSL because my friend Hiba was in the last cohort of NSL delegates. She really encouraged me, and I thought for myself that this is a great chance for me to speak with people in positions of power and also understand how the political system in the U.S. works. Great. Um, thank you all for that. What has been your experience of working with um, Israeli-Palestinian groups and sort of working in, in cohorts that are sort of mixed and collaborative in that way? Um, so... 
I actually have never done a program like this or any program with Israelis and Palestinians, but that's not to say I've been to Palestinians. Um, I grew up in a small Jewish community in the north of Israel, and although it was relatively segregated, the region itself was very multicultural with Jews, Christians, Muslim, Baha'i, Druze, and Bedouin communities um, living side by side. And in Be'er Sheva, where I'm living now, um, being the biggest city in the south, it brings to it people from all walks of life. So although um, we mostly live in segregated communities, we do have a lot of opportunities to engage in our daily life, which some people might take those opportunities, but um, I am inspired to do so, and I see it as like a stepping stone for more dialogue and cooperation. Yes, so... Um I'm a vegan cook, and in this kind of industry, there are a lot of foreigners, uh, which means part of the people that I was working with were Palestinians, and um, they were all men, uh, and all like grown-up grown men, married uh, people with families, and through that, I got, the, I got a chance to see what kind of decisions they have to make in order to provide their families because they were not able to go back and forth all the time since they were living in the West Bank. In NSL, I'm very curious to hear about uh, the stories of my Palestinian teammates, because I've, being a former settler, I've always seen the other side, and I kind of heard the voices from the Palestinian uh, village next to the settlement, but I never really got a chance to talk to Palestinian people growing up. So... Now I'm very curious about their stories and their point of view of everything that's happening. So in the summer of 2014, I was part of an organization called Seeds of Peace. Uh, it's an organization that brings young individuals from different conflict zones. Um, so there were Egyptians, Americans, Pakistanis, Indians, people from Kashmir. Um, so the, uh, also Palestinians and Israelis. And we joined a dialogue. So, and it was for three weeks, um, and I lived with Israelis and was involved in games that included both Palestinians and Israelis, basically, and um, so that was my first experience. And then the second experience was last year. Um, I went to the UK as a Palestinian speaker, along with an Israeli speaker, um, through a program called Solutions Not Sides, to talk about pers our personal stories um, regarding the conflict, how it affected our lives um, directly and indirectly. And so we went to high schools and we talked to um, young kids basically about um, the conflict and about our experiences to educate them better on the conflict. I have always been involved in reconciliation work since I was in eighth grade. I got accepted to meet a binational leadership and entrepreneurship program and after high school, I became very active in Musalaha, a Christian organization for interfaith reconciliation, as well as reconciliation between Israelis and Palestinians. But honestly, this is my daily life now with my friends and as a PA. I always have to interact with Palestinians, with Israelis, and Palestinians with Israeli uh, citizenship. So I have the opportunity to always engage in conversation, as well as even bring up the occupation and discrimination we face as Palestinians in Israel, through academics and teaching about settler colonialism, for example, and about the power structure in society in Israel. But what I see different in NSL is that we're not there to debate our views. We're not there to convince each other of our realities, but we are there to tell and hear each other's stories. So I feel like 
is really overlooked or silent in our conversation, but everything uh, is about empowering us. Great. Um, so the next question is, what misconceptions do you believe exist about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Um, and this can be, you know, things that you personally want to correct or things that, you know, you have learned was a misconception you held as participant while you were participating in the program, kind of while you're having these conversations. Um, so I think there are plenty of misconceptions about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict coming from people from outside and Israelis and Palestinians. Um, but I personally, from a historical perspective, I think people don't understand how complicated the history of the region is. Um, so for example, my family, um, I can, if I can speak to my family, then um, most people will think, or most people think that um, most Jews immigrated here after the Holocaust, which is true, but there have always been Jewish people living in the region. Um, so my family, for example, has been in the region since the 16th century, um, after the expulsion of the Jews from Spain by Sanidad and Isabella. Um, I don't think knowing that makes the conflict easier to understand. I actually think it makes it more complicated, but I think it's important to know how long Jews in Africa have lived side-by-side side in the region. So, um, one of the greatest misconceptions I constantly hear is that the conflict can't be resolved. And I hear that all the time, both from Israelis and uh, Palestinians. And that's something I'm just not willing to accept. I think everything could be resolved, just like... Um, Jews and Germans became besties after World War II. I know it's a terrible, um, like it's a terrible way to put it, but I feel like um, if we could overcome that as a nation, then there's no reason Palestinians and Israelis wouldn't be able to live in peace here. Um, I think one of the misconceptions I realize is prominent is the fact that all Palestinians and all Israelis are very hostile against each other. There are Palestinians that actually work and do business with with Israelis and vice versa. The Palestinian economy is very much dependent on the Israeli economy because any imports go through the Israeli administration and any new item in the market is generally um, in Israel first. So there's a lot of um, coexistence, I would say, or there's a lot of work between the Palestinians and Israelis economically um, for the prosperity of both sides. I'm a Palestinian Christian evangelical from Israel. As a Palestinian minority in Israel, we have been overlooked in the peace process. And mostly, people around the world don't even know we even exist. So, for example, when we go abroad, we face this very clearly. So, when we travel, we make sure to do our research very, very, very well in order to get to the best services possible. So, we do our research to know if the population of the country is pro-Israeli, so when we are there, we say that we are from Israel. On the other hand, if we realize that the population is pro-Palestinian, then we say we are from Palestine. When people have no idea or like they have no idea what's going on in the region, we just say that we are from the Holy Land or from Nazareth. So we wouldn't get into trouble. Obviously, this was meant to be a kind of an in-person program or at least a, a more in-person program than you guys are currently having. So um, I'd love to hear about what it's been like to do maybe one of the first sort of digital programs or fellowships during um, the coronavirus pandemic. 
So it's uh, been an experience uh, doing the program online. Uh, it's definitely nice um, staying home and being able to speak to people all around the world. If it's, um, if it's ambassadors, congressional representatives, uh, it has been difficult having deep conversations over Zoom. Um, you lack the social awareness or the, you know, um, body, like, um, anyway, any social cues, um, on Zoom. So it makes it quite hard to react, um, and get into, like, deep conversations. So for me, this is the first time that I'm doing this kind of program, and it was very challenging. Um, the internet connection because my internet is terrible so I had to rearrange the entire room and like Mashi said it's nice to be able to meet people all over the world without um, but it's also very challenging to develop a meaningful relationship with my teammates which is something I really care about and I personally feel happy for I know that if we were in person, I would probably bug them with all my personal questions. And now they kind of have a little bit of space, you know. They don't have to answer everything I want to know. So, <laughs> but I'm trying to make, like, private conversation with everyone, although just because I care a lot about this relationship. Um, so, I think in this program so far, be very challenging but also extremely rewarding. I love the fact that we have debates and discussions, um, all of us growing up in different environments, let alone I think makes it interesting. Um, I obviously, like my um, colleagues or like I, my friends, was in person rather than online via Zoom. I think there would be better listening uh, and less tension to a certain extent. As she said, there'd be more social cues and you could understand people from the language. Um, I also think there would be more interaction on a humane level. Now it seems like it's abstract to a certain extent. This experience for me is part of my path to end the occupation and to be a woman in the political sphere around decision making. Um, and I want to see more representation of groups that are currently not part of these process because I believe that um, in order to have a just society, we have to hear, we have to listen to all the voices in society. So there's never enough of it. And right now, this is not the situation. So I feel like where um, that road will take me, this is where I'm going. I am committed to that kind of social change. Um, the advice that I have for people who want to work in this area is keep your passion and your curiosity because there's never too much to learn about things that are not um, your perspective or your point of view. And I feel um, that also this um, kind of activism could be very um, very hard, like mentally. So it's also very important to, to, to maintain your well-being while 
um, enduring in activism because that could be uh, often very emotional and sometimes traumatic. So helping yourself and maintaining your well-being is also very important in order to being able to keep working in that field. So I think my advice would be to be careful about the use of language. There are terms that mean differently to both Israelis and Palestinians. Um, for example, something I realized in the United States is the interpretation of the word occupation. Um, so for example, when I used to use the word um, occupation or colonization, I used to refer to the land of Palestine before the Nakba and the establishment of Israel in 1948. However, the conversation now in the United States and among liberal and actually some uh, Palestinians is focused more on the West Bank and Gaza, so I thought that was... Um, so I personally experienced it and saw the difference, so I think that would be my advice, being careful about the use of language and knowing exactly what it means to both sides. Um, and where do I see this leading me? I mean, hopefully uh, to decision-making positions. I know exactly uh, where I see myself. Like, I don't label it that way. I don't, I don't have a label in that sense, but... Um, Hopefully something in politics or journalism or something that allows me to talk to decision makers and make a change in the world. In my opinion, if you want to work in this area in Palestine and Israel, please come and don't come to teach us or tell us what to do. Come and listen. Live with us. Go through life with us. And then come and join the work. Actually, NSF sits well with my journey. I'm trying to figure out my career path for the past three years, but I always knew that I want to pursue human rights. So through my learning about the national justice, I realized how important the upstream factors are, that is how policy and governmental decisions regarding resources is crucial for solving conflicts between communities and how effective systematic change is. So I started lately to think, after especially meeting Congress representatives, that maybe I can strive to be an act to help out setting policies, or even just be a representative of my people in the Israeli Knesset in the future. Thanks again to everyone who joined us this month, and thank you to everyone who's been joining us during this entire pandemic. Um, we really appreciate having consistent listenership, and hopefully what we've been recording and talking about and thinking about are things that you've been thinking about as well. We would love to hear from you, so if you have any thoughts you want to share, please feel free to reach out by Twitter, by Instagram, email, um, any way that you want to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. I hope that this episode was interesting. I think it's a really interesting look at what it's like to kind of forge ahead with normal life or as close to normal life as we can during a pandemic now that we've sort of settled into this version of normalcy. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever app you use. That helps other people find us, and it raises us up in the rankings. It's one of the most helpful things you can do for a podcast. While you're at it, please subscribe to the Women in Foreign Policy newsletter. That's available on our website, womeninforeignpolicy.org. You can follow the organization's Twitter at womeninfp, and if the work we're doing means a lot to you, please consider supporting us via PayPal at Lucy Goulet. That's L-U-C-I-E-G-O-U-L-E-T. 
or on Patreon at Women in Foreign Policy. We are an all-volunteer team, so that means your support goes even further. We love the work we do, and we absolutely couldn't do it without listeners like you. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.